Today on this episode of Going Deeper, we are having a very special episode. We have our very first, as you can see, panel discussion Q&A session. There's gonna be some really interesting questions, some tough questions, and I'm sure some very interesting answers. I'm the host, Kyle McCaskill, and we'll just go down the row here. I'm Marie Burns. Becky Clark. I'm Doug DeGraff and Reed. Chris Winter. So join us as we answer questions and go deeper. So here we go with our first question. And remember, if you want your questions asked in a future Q&A session, send them to askgoingdeeper at gmail.com and we'll get them in there. So to kick it off, we're going all the way back to Genesis 1, maybe Genesis 2 here. But in your opinion, would it have made a difference if the, in the garden if Adam and Eve had confessed and repented of their sin? Who's going to take that one? Yeah, crickets. <laughs> I think senior pastor needs to start that off, kick that one off. I would need more information. The question was, in your opinion, would it have made a difference? What does it mean to make a difference, though? I mean... Well, they were kicked out of the garden. Right. Uh, so I is think, that the question? I think they were going to be kicked out of the garden because they, they sinned. They violated God's um, sovereign rule about not eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so they cross the line. And it's just, it's as we are today, we know that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, but we are still stuck with some of the human results of sin. We can't undo some of the physical results of sin. So. Um, I think in their own way, that little scene with um, the serpent and Adam and Eve and God, what have you done? They're all doing the modern version of repenting. They're blaming it on somebody else. Mm -hmm. And um, so we see even though they didn't repent, God was still merciful. God was still gracious. God um, got them out of their fig leaves and clothed them. Mm -hmm. Well, and even to some extent, that living, it wasn't part of the issue that continuing to live in Eden, now knowing the things that God knows, there's, there's an issue just in that that had to be fixed. So repentance would not have fixed that situation of mm -hmm. living in the, the pureness of Eden, the holiness of God's presence, you know? Well, and we've also got the tree of life that's there, and that was the whole issue that when you really check what happened in Eden, the serpent was right, that they had become like God, and God had to forbid the, the tree of life so they wouldn't live forever. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the tree of life, as y'all know, reappears in the book of the Revelation, so... Um, we're going to get to be around it again and eat of the fruit of the tree of life, finally. Well, and that, that I think it also depends on how you look at God's actions. Are God's actions punitive? Are God, is, is God saying, okay, I'm just really fed up with you, so take that? Or 
since they hadn't, we hadn't had the redemption of Christ yet, could there have been an eternal ramification had they eaten from the tree of life? So God expelling them from the garden, I see it as actually an act of grace, even though it doesn't seem that way. It's merciful to not live forever when you have this broken, sinful state. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a good thought. I like that. All right, so the next one, our next question here. Again, this one also comes from Marie's small group. <laughs> Sorry, were... my small group's the, the star of this show. And our small group's open, quick plug, if you're looking for a couple small group to get plugged into, mine's yes. available. Mm -hmm. yes. All right, so with regard to the flood, jumping a little bit forward in the book of Genesis, if all the world was wiped out, then how do all these other cultures have a flood story? Did the whole of Earth really flood, or was it the world as our writers know it? Maybe what is now North and South America and Europe didn't actually flood. What are y'all's thoughts? My very non-professional answer is sure. I mean, very well could have been. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. If, if the biblical authors, again, uh, so again, th this stuff isn't written as it's happening. That, that's the other thing. We, right. we read it like it's written as it happens, but it's written way after. And these are also oral traditions that are passed down. And, and uh, you'll see, a, like you referenced, a lot of similarities between Old Testament creation, the, the, the law, between different cultures. They have very similar guidelines and very similar traditions that are passed down. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very likely, in my opinion, that it's probably the world as they know it. But... If it is the whole world, uh, I'm okay either way. And, yeah. and, and I don't have a solid answer either way. Doesn't really impact the end result. Yeah, I, I, I'm not implying that it's a bad question. Right. But I, I, I don't have a way, you know, I, I'm sure there are people who have more historical study. Um, biblical history is really kind of a specialized field. Mm -hmm. And and then um, I'll defer to Doug. Is there anything in the Hebrew language there that really tips the scales one way or another? No, it could have been a... Again, it's funny where we look at Scripture. Mm -hmm. um, rather than the ark being a symbol or a vehicle of salvation, we look at the destruction. And what you have is the picture of the ark, which um, harbingers the church, as it were, as the, the vehicle of salvation for um, our drowning world. So there is no archaeology. Thank you. Say that once, twice, <laughs> three times quickly. There is no archaeological evidence for a worldwide flood. But again, the world, a worldwide with a much smaller population uh, through the Fertile Crescent, um, God didn't have to use as much water. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do they, so getting back to the very first part of that question, mm -hmm. how do other cultures have a flood narrative if everybody died except for Noah and his family? The fact that we have a narrative that is in several ancient Near Eastern cultures probably hints that something like that really happened and there were survivors. Mm -hmm. There were, we've got ark survivors, right? 
Right. We've got at least that Shem, bunch. Shem and Japheth. Mm -hmm. So maybe these ancient Near Eastern stories have a common thread, and maybe the common thread is the biblical story. See, when we get to scholarship, we want to assume that the Bible has copied something. Well, why can't somebody else copy us? Yeah, yeah. why can't somebody else copy us? You can find online uh, maps of where they think Ham, Shem, and Japheth settled that moved them out away from the Fertile Crescent. So that yeah. what you're saying makes sense to me. So maybe their descendants, mm -hmm. the, the stories that they told, that's who wrote the, what is it, the something of Gilgamesh. The Gilgamesh epic, Enuma yeah. Elish, um, those stories that, are, that exist. What's, what separates the biblical narrative from some of these ancient Near Eastern stories is in the biblical narrative, God is active. Nothing is an accident. Mm -hmm. um, human beings are created on purpose. Uh, the flood comes on purpose. Um, God's people are raised up on purpose. And you read these other ancient Near Eastern myths, and um, the results are capricious and arbitrary. So we see our God acting, as Chris has said, in grace mm -hmm. and in love. Um, Sometimes it's tough love, but it's grace and love. I like it. So now we're going to move on to Joseph, one of Becky and Chris's favorite points of contention. <laughs> are we going to let him? Are we going to let him duke it out? Right? I don't know. I may have to go get the boxing gloves. I will win. So, so this person wants to know what was the what was with the cup in the bags. Why make it look like they stole something? And I, I got to admit, that's something that crossed my mind too. Because all the other stuff, I could kind of get. I could mm -hmm. understand why somebody would do that. But why put the cup in their bags? Uh huh. You know. And then accuse them of being thieves. Yeah. Uh -huh. This was not my question, mm -hmm. but it did come from my small group. I, I'm, I'm lobbing that one to Chris first. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Okay. We're having all kinds of fun. On the spot. <laughs> That's the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the whole encounter, nothing about Joseph to me seems spur of the moment. Mm -hmm. He does not seem impulsive at any point. Okay. One might argue that sharing the dream was impulsive, but... After that, he, he, he doesn't seem like an impulsive person. Mm -hmm. Like he, he gets to, he gets to uh, Potiphar's house and he does really well and, and, he, and he's thought out. And he gets to Pharaoh's prison and he's thought out. And when he talks to Pharaoh and he interprets the dreams, he's like, okay, here's what you need to do. Bop, bop. So he seems systematic to me. Mm -hmm. And so uh, keeping consistent with his character there, nothing in his interactions with his brother seems like, oh, I'm going to, Oh, I'm just acting in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So everything he does, even when he has to turn away to weep, he still comes back to his plan. He has this plan that he seems like he is carrying out. So I think it, it's it's a, just another step in this long line of testing to have the brothers have opportunity after opportunity to prove not just to Joseph but to themselves that there is a redemptive quality in them. They, they are going to continually do the right thing 
because what they did was so wrong. I mean, the, 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 I, I'm, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but the little bit I know about the desert culture back then was family was like everything because you needed each other to survive. Yeah. So what they did was unconscionable in that culture and in ours. Joseph had done no, no, no wrong, even if you want to say sharing the dream was a little wrong, nothing that deserved anything like that. So what they did was way out of bounds. <clears throat> and the fact that they would do that shows something in them to be concerned about. Well, now Joseph is going to bring them in. All of these interactions, sitting them back and forth, making sure the younger brother Benjamin comes, planting stuff on them to make it look like they've done it, or to give them the opportunity to maybe sell out. Because with the cup, now, now, now tell me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't the cup the one where they're like, no, we didn't do it, and let, let the one you find it in, you know, let him die, and et cetera? So again, I, I think we're at a chance, or we're at a place where they've got a chance to sell one of their brothers out mm -hmm. again. Yeah. And they don't do it. Hmm. Because they, they betrayed a brother before right. for a lot less than this. Okay. So this is kind of like the ultimate test. Like they, can, they have a legal right to say, well, here you go. You, you, you know, Marie, why did you steal that cup? We didn't have anything to do with it. You know, off with her head. Let us go. <laughs> it's, it, they, he did put it in Benjamin's. Mm -hmm. it, it did go in Benjamin's. So are they going to betray the little one again, the helpless one? I, so I don't think it's this toying or messing. I think it's to reveal their character. And if you notice, they are continually brought into this awareness of the depth of wrong that they did, saying to themselves, look, this is because of what we did to our brother. But they need to make sure, Joseph needs to make sure that that's not who they are anymore. Mm -hmm. And he needs to help them realize that's not who they are. Yeah. Because, don't forget, these are the people through whom God is going to preserve the line of Israel. They have a responsibility here. So, But, but Joseph doesn't know all that. He doesn't know that whole plan. I just... That, oh, this is the struggle that you and I have of like I, Joseph I feel doesn't know like, the plan of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and I don't know. Yeah, and, know but, about the saving having to save the people up out of Egypt. Yeah, or but, that's four hundred years he, after he this. He recognizes it right away and says, Don't be angry with yourselves, brothers. What you meant for evil, God brought me here to save all of you. I just struggle with the idea that Joseph can be the one to do all the testing of them. Like they're, I get that they did something that was very wrong. We all agree that no matter what Joseph did or didn't do or anything like that to, to consider killing someone and then they, in the end selling them off was, was very wrong. And Joseph had lots of things that happened to them that was but this whole idea of continuous testing of his brothers, his choice of continuous testing to make sure that they are repentant enough and that they won't do again what has been done before seems a little like, I mean, does God, so does, well. that, does God do that with us? Is God constantly testing to make sure we are repentant enough to not do the thing we did before but don't but, but don't you think there's a degree to which the depth of the offense requires a measure of the level of the person's awareness of what they did 
There's so many horrible things that people do in the Bible that don't feel like they have to be tested to this degree. But why, why is Joseph so wrong for doing this? I mean, it, 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 there's no indication that he bears them any ill will. All of this to me really appears to be not just for him to know, but for him to know that they know that they realize just what they had done and they realize why that's not okay and who they need to be going forward. Like I, I just I, I don't see Joseph being malicious here. I see Joseph actually struggling with it and going through something that's necessary for them and him and this reconciliation to take place. I mean when when, when there's a family that's with abuse, you don't hold it over their head, but if you're going to reconnect deeply with a person, a lot of times you have to know that they understand what they did, that they, that they understand the depth of it. And the, the point's not to torture them, yeah. but, but the point's for the reconciliation to happen. You've got to go all the way down in order to come up together, in my opinion. But so then where does grace grace come into that because, because he grace, feels a little bit graceless grace comes in because joseph could have had each one of them who threw him in the pit killed and would have been well within his rights to do that immediately okay let's hmm. say you senior pastor <laughs> I, i'm reading i could go back and forth I'm, for so long <laughs> i'm reading the story um um i see joseph as a complex individual he is uh, one of the the strings of interpretation for me in the Joseph saga is is here you have all this family dysfunction in the the story of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and if you want to see a dysfunctional family system mm -hmm. it's with the patriarchs yeah. and you have this kid that got chunked in the pit who obviously had a an, an ego that was out of control prior to getting chunked and some bad things happen to him so you have to start asking yourself what happens when a narcissist gets knocked down uh, so I don't see I see Joseph as a little more complex and and I don't see him as innocent in any of this I think he's jacking with his brother <laughs> and I'm sorry I think he's pulling their string I think this is you know, a little smart aleck, I'm going to get you. And I think it's what siblings do to each other. I, so, so, so I wonder at the birth orders of us who have these different interpretations. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'll admit, I'm the baby. <laughs> Joseph didn't deserve what he got, but... No. <laughs> I... I Doug, what's your birth it's order? Not, it's not I'm his... I'm firstborn. So, I, so I'm also the firstborn. So we, See, you of all people should recognize when it's time to throw the youngest in the pit. But when, <laughs> I get that happens every Thursday. <laughs> throw the youngest in the pit. But where, but where did they end up? Joseph didn't enslave them. He didn't mistreat them. I mean, they went through this testing, but ultimately they're brought and they're honored. And he even tells them, look, don't be angry with yourselves. God meant this for good. But I think his love for his brothers derives out of his love for his father. I think it's his father he wants to get down in Egypt. Maybe his, you know, Benjamin. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not sure those brothers ever rose to the level of um, maybe belief that Joseph had in them. Uh, there is this ironic relationship, um, you know, I'm here because you threw me in a pit, 
and now look, you're here because there's a famine in the land, and I think there is this learning for all of them. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And, and I think the reality is that we look at our circumstances and um, when we give situations to God and allow Him to work through situations, He can bring good out of even a horrible situation like having your brothers um, you know, chunk in a pit. I, I wonder what... Uh, what the family did on Thanksgiving when somebody said the blessing, did they all close their eyes or were they afraid of the knife and the turkey? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, if you, if you live long enough, that's where siblings start telling on each other's Thanksgiving. You find out, your parents find out what their kids did that they got away with. And Listen, so they start ratting each other out. At age... Fifty. My dad confessed something to my grandma that he did when he was 11 years old. I bet yeah. he got looked for it, didn't he? <laughs> <At age 50. laughs> Almost. Almost. Uh -huh. But, but the, the, the neat thing, though, about like the Joseph story, for example, mm -hmm. I think we can find ourselves in the Scripture in different ways and different mm -hmm. times. Sometimes we are the part of Joseph that didn't deserve it and, it, and it's horrible, but you still act the right way. Other times you may read it and say, you know, Joseph was bitter, so I need to watch my motivations for that. Am I putting people through undue amounts of testing? Or, and, and that's that's the neat thing about it is you can, you can come to different places with it. I think depending on where you're at, God will use the stories of the scriptures to speak to you whatever your circumstance is. Yeah. And I'm like the rest of us. I'm, you know, we're recording this after we've obviously read it. But I think Joseph gets more press than any of the other uh, patriarchs so in terms of balance there's something something just with the length of the Joseph saga mm -hmm. that we need to um, you know say why why is so much information shared about Joseph mm -hmm. yeah. and it's beyond just explaining how the Hebrews ended up down in Egypt right yeah big stuff all right so I guess this next question and this is going to be our last question for today because it's probably going to take a little bit of time. Takes us back to Abraham. We ready? Father Abraham had Father many Abraham. sons. Okay. So is Abraham where Islam begins? Do they trace their lineage through Ishmael? And can we assume that Ishmael worshipped the God of Abraham? So with that logic, does that mean that Muslims are worshipping our God, but got something twisted along the way? This is one that there's some potholes in this one we could I've got step an, in. I've got an initial answer. Um, in seminary, mm -hmm. we had to at one point visit um, another religious service uh, of a different religion. Yeah. So I visited a mosque a couple times. Yeah. And some people will tell you there is one branch of Islam, period. Mm -hmm. Other people particularly in Islam, like, like the particular mosque I went to, that said, no, there's different branches that emphasize this more than this or that more than the other. And their understanding was, yes, it came from Abraham. But what the leader of the synagogue told me, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, um, the leader of the mosque told me, was the, that the Jewish scriptures were incorrect, that Abraham put Ishmael on the altar and sent Isaac away. Now, that was their understanding of it. I'm not saying that's accurate. I'm just saying that's what was told to me by a Muslim faith leader. Okay. 
So yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting, um, not a perspective I would claim is correct because the 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 Christian canon adopted the Jewish canon mm-hmm. verbatim. Like we didn't yeah. change anything about it. Right. So I'm going with the fact that the Old Testament is um, original is not the right word, but um, accurate. Would, uh, would, would unaltered Doug be be a uh, Appropriate word there. Hadn't been edited right there. There we go. So that's that's my initial contribution to it. Okay. okay. Are they looking at me? Yes, we are. are. <laughs> and, uh, oh, scholar of scholars. Uh, the question is almost like an act of eisegesis. Um, the only relation Islam has to Judaism and or Christianity is that Islam arose in the Arabian Peninsula in the 7th century AD. Um, it, the stories of Judaism and the stories of Christianity and even their relationship to one another were told. Um, Judaism is thousands of years older than Islam. Christianity is hundreds of years older than Islam. Um, It's biblical wishful thinking Mm -hmm. to say that Ishmael gives rise to a people that um, give rise to um, what we know as Islam. Okay. So... I guess I'll have and I'll add a follow-up question to that for just for clarification. When we see in that that section of Genesis where Ishmael and Hagar get sent out, that, that God does promise that Ishmael will be a great nation, but he will be say a wild donkey of a yeah, man something, or something like wild that. Wild donkey, but basically saying that Ishmael's nation will be at odds with right. Israel. It's it's not necessarily saying or alluding to that this is going to become Islam. No, it's yeah. not Islam. You can have you can have that if that's a, a predictive word. You can have that true of several peoples mm-hmm. that we are introduced to throughout the Old Testament. I just. Um, Really, the only thing Islam and Judaism and Christianity share in common is a monotheistic faith, and that's about it. Um, And the heart of um, the heart of uh, the Judeo-Christian religion is built on love. It's built on loving your neighbor, um, being willing to die for your neighbor. And current manifestations of Islam turn that all on its ear. And so that's where I end up. Okay. And, and if I'm correct, uh, Ishmael, does, he moves to the other side of the Jordan, right? So like the people, like the Moabites and things like that come out of his line, right? Which to, to, that is still completed the fact that like the Moabites and the Israelites hated each other for a really long time there were lots of of issues between both sides of those Jordan River and the people so what God said about Ishmael is true there became a big great nation on that side but they were in juxtaposition with the people of God often 
So, so to take Ishmael out to Islam and Islam and Judaism being at odds, you would say is inferring a lot upon the scriptures that isn't there necessarily. It all comes back to who owns the promised land, whose land is it, and so this is basically convenient eisegesis that if I remember my history is fairly new, it's a new construct. Um, Mohammed would have never dreamed this up. Okay. So for the people who don't know all the fancy words, what is eisegesis? It's reading back into the text what you want to be there. Okay. So it's deciding that, what the thing. scripture says and then going to the scripture and says, oh, well, because I've decided it must mean this, mm -hmm. this is what it means. In other words, it's something not to do. <laughs> Please don't do it. There's the proof texting in there. It's yeah. the proof texting. Yes. What's, what's, what's compelling to me about that is, is, Doug, you said, was it 7th century was really the formation of Islam as a religion? It would, it would seem that if Ishmael was in fact the, the father of Islam, then it would have started with him there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to, to, for, it. for it to come on the scene so late, mm -hmm. and, and really, uh, so again, my understanding of history, Islam's prominence is as much geopolitical as it was anything else, as it was religious. So that, that factors a lot into it as well, in my mind. Okay. So I was just kidding. That wasn't the last question for today. <laughs> I have one more question. Okay, yes? I want to know when they're going to talk. Uh-huh. We are talking. I just said some stuff. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, know I fought with all Chris. Look at her. Yeah, she did. Uh -huh. and, so. and, and we'll call it a draw. Yeah. <laughs> if there had been questions about the Holy War, I'd have spoken up, but there weren't any because my small group and I have already had that conversation. And she said, I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so this one is way out of order because we do go all the way back to the garden. I didn't ask this one yet, did I? No. Okay, Okay. just checking. No, I already knew what it is. <laughs> all right, so this another question comes from, yet again, Marie's small group. <laughs> this is about they the belly buttons. The, huh? No, it's not about the This was, this was <laughs> not about belly buttons. That is a deep theological question. <laughs> yeah. We're not concerned with whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons. These are Addies. So why put the tree of knowing good and evil in the garden at all if God didn't want them to eat from it? The tree and what happens with the tree. The question answer thing should just be Doug, apparently. <laughs> I, I saw it. We all look, look at Doug. At <laughs> The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what happens as a result of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Adam and Eve eating of the fruit of the tree is a big question about human free will. And you can say that the tree symbolizes in a tangible way our human free will, our right to disobey God. If you take the tree out and you take human choice or the, the ability for humans to act as free moral agents out of the equation, can human beings really love God? 
Is it love? You know, this is going to sound really silly and trite. Um, and it kind of is because it's a kid's show. Uh, but one of my favorite Veggie Tale episodes is The Snoodle's Tale. And uh, if you've not watched it, you have to go find The Snoodle's Tale. It's, it's beautiful. But close to the end of it, the, the allegorical God figure in this one says, a gift that's demanded is no gift at all. Mm. And to me, that really speaks to the heart of God and why he gives us free will. Because he wants us to give of our own selves that, that gift of our worship and, and our, our love to him. Because if he demanded it, then it wouldn't be a gift. And from the very beginning, it was, it was built into mm -hmm. his character and the whole intent of creation of humanity. That, I mean, because he does nothing by accident. So this was a thought out thing of like, I don't want to force humanity to love me. I don't want it to be not a choice. Relationship, true relationship is about the choice of. Right. And so that was what the trees were. It was the choice of, which means the choice of means the choice not to as well. Well, but like, like Doug mentioned earlier too, we focus on the negative. Mm -hmm. When the serpent tempted her, it was, well, you God really say this? And, and the woman says, well, look, we can eat of any tree in the garden. I mean, like, there is an abundance of lush, beautiful, fulfilling, wonderful things out there. So it's not like they were walking around scraggly, barely fed, and this was the only option. They turned away from great, which to me is, is a great metaphor, because how do, you, how do you measure love? Well, one of the ways, as a parent especially, would be trust. We want our children to trust us because we know and we want what's best for them, and we give them good things. But they have that option to take the other choice. So there had to be the option. But they took it with so much abundance of provision. And, it, and did God know it was going to happen? Yes. But it had to be there for free will. I've, I've heard this, just dovetails, I've heard it said, I think it was C.S. Lewis that, that basically made the argument, the concept of hell is a necessity because if there is no ultimate choice to reject God, then ultimately there is no choice. And this is along those same lines, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. And, and also the tragedy, referring to the abundance of, of God's provision, the tragedy is the tree of life is in the garden, unprotected. Yeah. Right. They are not, they could eat of the tree of life. Mm -hmm. all, and he never forbade that. All yeah. the time. And, and a deeper question, which we will not have time for today, is what is our fascination with darkness? What is it about? What do they want to know? What's good and what's evil? And it's the evil part that, that creates our curiosity. What is it about us that, that we want to look into the dark? We want to um, look at all the dark movie characters that become anti-heroes. What, 
where is that and what is that and how does the church need to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ into that and um, what do we need to learn from that to be more effective ministers and more compassionate to people I think that's a topic for season three of our podcast <laughs> season three yeah, so we got a while to hold that, that one over. Is that the return of the dug eye or something like that? <laughs> the buck eye? Well, what's I, happening? I don't know. <laughs> We're going to figure that out when we get there. Season three. This time it's personal. Oh. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I thought we were talking about the Sopranos. I didn't yeah. know. The darkness. Uh-huh. That's it. Well, I hope y'all have enjoyed this time. I've enjoyed this time getting to sit and listen and participate a little bit. Uh, So thank y'all, each one of y'all, for what you bring to the table, even though our table is a little bit different today. Uh, So with that, send us your questions. We've got another podcast coming out next week. We're right back to our regular schedule. So I hope you've enjoyed this special edition Q&A of Going Deeper. We'll see you all next time.